Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, the host of your channel. Today, we'll be talking to Karen Cook-Bell about her new book, Running from Bondage, Enslaved Women and the Remarkable Fight for Freedom in Revolutionary America. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cook-Bell. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so glad that you're here and that we get to talk about this book. Before we dive into that, I wonder if you would please start us off by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I am a historian of slavery and women's history and associate professor of history and chair of the History and Government Department at Bowie State University. I was born and raised in Savannah, Georgia where the culture and landscape influenced my avocation as an archivist and historian. I completed my Bachelor of Arts degree in history at Savannah State University and received a PhD in history from Howard University. I worked as an archivist at the National Archives for four years, and I've been teaching history for over 20 years. And so that leads me to my next question, which is, what was the original inspiration for writing this book? Sure, yes. Um, Well, researching my first book, Claiming Freedom, introduced me to women who fled slavery, either alone or with their family members, during the late 18th century. This led me to question how widespread was the flight of enslaved women. And my research led me to the American Revolution, which, according to historian Benjamin Quarles, was the first large-scale slave rebellion in American history. So I wanted to tell the stories of these women who fled or who attempted to flee bondage during the Revolutionary Era. And really, scholars of the American Revolution once considered Black participation in this very important conflict to be marginal. However, over the past several decades, numerous books and articles on this subject have dispelled that idea, and Black participation in the American Revolution is now an integral part of the story of American freedom. However, the experiences of Black women who fled slavery during the American Revolution has largely not been examined, And a part of the reason why that is the case is because the history books had previously ignored the experiences of Black women during slavery. And this began to change with the publication of Deborah Gray White's book, Aren't I a Woman, in 1985, which examines the Black female experience during slavery. However, even with this publication, the consensus in the scholarship was that Black women did not flee bondage because of family ties and responsibilities. In other words, their positions as mothers and wives prevented them from escaping slavery. So my book refutes that idea, and I demonstrate that motherhood often served as a catalyst for attempted escape during the American Revolution. Um, Time and time again in the advertisement that I examined, Black women ran away with their child or children. In fact, enslaved women had as much incentive to run away as did men, and perhaps even more, since they were abused physically, sexually, and psychologically. 
So um, long story short, I wanted to add to the um, literature on the ways in which black women resisted slavery and rebelled against the institution of slavery um, and the, the American Revolutionary period was one of the most um, fruitful um, time periods for black women's um, escape. And one of the remarkable things is that your previous book came out in 2018, and this book came out in 2021, and in between the two, we had a pandemic. How were you continuing to access your, your sources, and had you already amassed a, a pretty good uh, treasure trove of, of resources to be working with? Uh, yes, I did. Um, my first book actually took me uh, about 10 years to write. So it was, it was based on my dissertation. So I had already gathered a great deal of archival research for my first book. And of course, the um, sources in my first book led me to my second book. Um, so in between um, the time period of, of researching, writing my first book, um, I was also engaged in research for this book. And I was on sabbatical in 2019, which allowed me to um, devote the time needed to complete the writing of Running from Bondage. And you mentioned in the acknowledgments that you ha were able to have a really pivotal conversation at a at a lunch, I believe it was, at a, at a conference when someone who was also working on um, a case of a very... Uh, turned out to be well-known, uh, but not at the time, fugitive slave because of who, who was her enslaver, ended up sitting next to you. Can you tell us a bit about that important conversation? Right. Well, it was a very brief conversation. It was the um, luncheon for the Association for the Study of African American Life and History with um, Dr. Erica Armstrong Dunbar, who published a fabulous book on, on a judge, Never Caught. Um, so. I was um, certainly uh, in awe that she sat next to me because um, I had read her book. She had already, you know, completed her book and the book was published. So I had used her book in writing my book, um, Running from Bondage. And I was just, um, I guess, in, in awe of her tremendous uh, scholarship in writing the story of Ona Judge and, you know, her book really inspired me as I wrote um, my book and the ways in which she was able to tell the story of Ona's lived experiences and, and what she endured throughout her life as, as, a, as a house servant to uh, Martha Washington uh, allowed me to capture the spirit of the women who I chronicle in Running from Bondage. You talk about using these advertisements for uh, the runaway enslaved people. And you talk about a very specific way of decoding and reading them, which you call reading against the grain. Can you talk to listeners about this technique of recovering and recentering uh, Black women's voices? 
Sure. Well, in terms of process, um, what I've learned from writing this history is that fugitive women are not missing from the historical record, nor are they silent in the sources. On the contrary, fugitive women are everywhere in newspaper advertisements, in trial records, and other official records. Um, Fugitive women appear as expert witnesses in trial records, for example. So the challenge for me was not locating sources on enslaved women's escape, but making sense of the fragmented evidence. Um, I began to read my sources for the political and symbolic significance of the clothing that fugitive women took with them or wore as they fled. Um, Enslaved women like Margaret Grant, for example, appropriated the tools of the master, including his dress, to dismantle their enslavement. So in terms of reading against the grain, uh, one of the techniques or methodologies that I used was imagining the various silences and um, in these advertisements in terms of what they can tell us about enslaved women's experiences. So in excavating the experiences of fugitive women, I use what Sherry Katz term researching around the subjects in order to reconstruct and interpret their lives. Um, this process involved mining the newspaper advertisements of women's flight and then working outward in concentric circles of related sources, such as manuscript collections, family papers, and trial records. Integrating these layers of materials enabled me to construct the impact of fugitive women but it's still a very partial portrait full of silences and unanswered questions. In particular, I was limited in probing the personal lives um, of fugitive women, which is not surprising to those working to excavate marginalized or little-known women who did not leave records of their own. So reading against the grain um, refers to, again, the ways in which I'm able to use my historical imagination, deeply rooted in textual scholarship, to recreate the lives of these enslaved women by imagining what these, the meaning, the very meanings and silences can tell us about their lived experiences. And one of the things that you remind us of in the book is that we don't know how these women's stories turn out. Um, You open with uh, a case of a woman uh, escaping with her husband and her children and she's pregnant and we don't even know her name. And you, as you follow different case studies and you present them in each chapter, you let us know, we don't know how these stories turn out. The case of Ona Judge is a unique one in that later in life, a journalist interviewed her. But for the majority of these women, you're extrapolating and figuring out the communities that they ended up in and how they lived without having the final piece of evidence to tell us those specific women's outcome. Right. And that's the frustrating part of writing this history is that we do not know the ultimate fate of the majority of women who um, I discuss in um, Running from Bondage um, because of course, the historical record is silent on what happens to them in the majority of those cases. Um, but despite these limitations, there is still a remarkable amount of information that can be gleaned from the sources about enslaved women um, who are escaping um, slavery. And certainly, um, the case of Ona Judge does stand out because she was able to 
give a couple of interviews about her life story, her lived experiences, and how she escaped um, the Washington's estate. So um, I think what's, what historians need to do with regard to um, trying to reconstruct the lives of marginalized women who whose stories are fragmented and silent in many cases um, with regard to the records is to, again, um, imagine what the meanings and the possibilities are um, with regard to their narratives and how we can use our historical imagination to reconstruct enslaved women's lived experiences. And you tell us in the book that there were two wars raged during the revolutionary era. There was a political revolution for independence from Britain and a social revolution for emancipation and equality in which black women paid a major role. And you tell us that they are our founding mothers of our society. Can you talk about that ideological underpinning of your work, please? Sure. Um, Well, the American Revolution, of course, was based on the premise of freedom for the colonies from the control of the British British monarchy and the ideals embodied in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness resonated with enslaved women who used the rhetoric of the revolution to claim their right to freedom. Women heard about these ideals from listening to the conversations of their enslavers, as well as through the slave rape vine, which carried news from plantation to plantation. And the American Revolution really brought into sharp focus the paradox of slavery and freedom. And African-American women contributed mildly to the story of American independence because they believed in the independence of the individual and they valued in the most fundamental way what Thomas Jefferson and others would identify as inalienable rights. Um, So um, certainly the American Revolutionary War um, was, I guess, the catalyst for so much of the early abolitionist movement in which Black women played a very um, fundamental role. And I think, you know, it's really important that Um, we view Black women as visible participants and self-determined figures who put their lives on the line for freedom. Um, They protested with their feet by running away, which underscores the vital role of Black women in seeking to move the nation forward toward a more perfect union. And you talk about this particular time period as being a time period when we can identify significantly more uh, enslaved women escaping than we did perhaps in other um, colonial eras. And one of the things that you identify is that there's some chaos going on and women are using those opportunities. And more than half of the people that you identified uh, fled in groups. They were not alone. Um, 25% were families. And we see a significant number of, as you've stated earlier, mothers, uh either pregnant or with their children uh, escaping with them. Can you talk about um, how the women use the um, political chaos to their advantage as as timing to flee? Yes, certainly. Um, I think that's what's important about this time period is that um, the revolutionary period 
um, allowed women to escape bondage more readily than they did in previous uh, time periods uh, because of the chaos of war and the lack of oversight, which made the escape of Black women possible in the North and South. And I think when we certainly examine um, this period, it becomes evident that there were certainly regional similarities and variations in the flight of enslaved women. Um, For example, Lord Dunmore's proclamation and the Phillipsburg proclamation were two important proclamations that um, really propelled um, the flight of enslaved women as well as men. Um, These two proclamations offered freedom to enslaved people who would aid and assist the loyalists who were fighting against the British, uh, against American colonists, rather. So um, we see women, for example, in South Carolina and Georgia um, escaping to Spanish Florida with the Spanish provided freedom and refuge for escaped slaves, but they're also seeking refuge with British forces, especially following the Southern Campaign of 1779. In Virginia and Maryland, enslaved women sought to reach Philadelphia, which was under the control of British forces in September of 1777, as well as reach other northern destinations. In the northern and New England colonies, women sought to reach British forces during the early campaigns of the war and also endeavored to reach New York City. And in each of these regions, fugitive women were seeking to pass as free women. So um, the revolutionary period um, provides an important window into looking at the escape of enslaved women. And as you referenced, women not only escape with family members, but in groups without established kin relations. They correctly perceived that their best chances for liberty resided with the British victory and a disruption of the existing social order. And you, you caution us uh, from treating the women as a monolith. Each, each woman's story is her own, and she had her own unique way of escaping and her own circumstances she was fleeing. But you do identify sort of two key um, opportunities that the women were seizing. One, as you mentioned, was to was to find the British and, and escape to them. Another was to escape to what these um, colonies that were springing up, these maroon communities, which were in areas of rather extreme wilderness and posed their own uh, substantial dangers. Can you talk about um, the women going to the maroon communities? Sure. So um, in maroon societies, which were located in the swamps and deep woods of North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, Florida, and Louisiana, women found refuge and the freedom to live as mothers and wives, although they faced challenging circumstances and inhospitable environments the freedom to live independently outweighed those circumstances. And what I argue also in Running from Bondage is that um, the Revolutionary War does increase marinage as runaways found it advantageous to form communities in the swamps and woods. 
and the largest maroon society was in the Great Dismal Swamp, located between the Virginia and North Carolina border. But there were others located on Belle Isle near Savannah, Georgia, and of course the lower Mississippi Valley, including um, Louisiana and Prospect Bluff uh, in Florida. So these maroon communities um, provided women who either followed their husbands to these woods and swamps or chose to uh, escape and attach themselves to maroon societies independently, um, really allowed women the freedom to live uh, independently uh, despite the challenging and inhospitable circumstances that um, they faced living in the woods and, and, and the swamps. You talk in the book about that the society that they were escaping was a surveillance society. That was why the ads were placed. That's um, where the descriptions came from that you note that that Jefferson and, and uh, George Washington both kept detailed descriptions of all of their enslaved uh, people on their on their rosters. And so this is a surveillance society that the women are escaping from. And you talk about disguises that they used and techniques that they used of resistance to aid them as they fled. Can you talk a bit about um, how how precarious it is to escape in a surveillance society and how the revolution itself fragmented those surveillance techniques and women used that to their advantage? Sure. So um, newspaper ads, of course... Um, were placed by enslavers because they wanted to recapture their their property. And the newspaper ads reveal a great deal of information um, about facial and bodily features, ethnic origins and identities, and where they might have gone and rewards for their return. The newspaper ads of course, um, reflect really on the ground collective transformations of names, ethnic changes, and identities. In other words, the fugitive body becomes a living and moving text of victimization, protest, and personhood. And the ads are a tool um, of surveillance, but they can also be read as indications of the agency of enslaved women. And really how enslaved women ran away is just as informative and intriguing as why and where they ran away. They, for the most part, did not run haphazardly into the woods, but established creative and subversive escape strategies. Enslaved women disguised themselves as waiting boys and men, as was the case with Margaret Grant, who I feature um, and discussed in uh, chapter two, they faked physical and mental illness to escape. They impersonated white women. Um, they posed as black male soldiers and served as spies and, of course, um, sought to board ships headed to northern destinations. So while enslavers used, of course, methods to um, surveil their, their enslaved people through their um, 
descriptions of bodily features, um, scars that they may have had. The ads must be read as really a process by which enslaved women were able to use very creative and inventive strategies to escape from a horrific system that sought to commodify uh, their bodies and um, distort their minds. You say the book has two main themes. One is the creation of a rival geography, and the other is fugitivity as an act of resistance. Can you define for us what you mean by the creation of a rival geography and how that's so important to understanding the work that you're doing here? Sure. Um, well, I use Stephanie Camp's um, definition of rival geography that um, she brilliantly uses in um, her work. And the term rival geography refers to uh, the movement of bodies away from plantations and the spaces of enslavers. It embodies alternative ways of knowing and using plantation and Southern, and I would argue Northern spaces. Um, fugitive women challenged enslavers' efforts to contain their movement. So that rival geography is um, a way for enslaved women to subvert the paradigm of slavery and to use it to their advantage. And of course, um, fugitivity is the central theme of running from bondage. And based on historian Marissa Fuente's definition, fugitivity refers to the experience of enslaved women as fugitives, both hidden from view and in the state of fleeing. It also signifies the fragile condition of runaways who came into visibility through runaway advertisements. So um, enslaved women created a rival geography by escaping slavery and defying the geographic norms that their enslavers imposed on them. And of course, um, in their experiences as fugitives, they sort of flipped the script on another important idea that Stephanie Camp um, discusses in her work, um, geographies of containment. So enslaved women are not contained by their geography. They are emboldened by their geography and use their agency to um, really turn geographies of containment on its head. You mentioned earlier some of the um, earlier texts on enslaved women told us that because women were embedded in um, maternal structures, they were less likely to be able to run away. Um, and you you invite us and encourage us to turn that um, ideology on its head, to really reframe it as key to the historical discourse on slave resistance and that it's the underpinning and foundation of our present day discourse on freedom and equality. And you remind us that Black Lives Matter was started by three black women. Can you help us with this really key reframing of um, maternal uh, enslaved women as 
using those abilities and being in that position as key to driving their fugitivity and that so much of their their need to succeed in that was because of these dependent children. Sure. So um, in terms of making connections to the present and understanding really how important it is to view these fugitive women as um, really foremothers of an important social justice movement, um, Black women have really been in the forefront of launching social justice movements in this country, and the escape of Black women um, must be viewed in that context. So it's important to, to point out um, and underscore that these histories of Black women's escaping slavery is an important dimension of the ways in which Black women historically have used their pain to inspire change. I think about um, Mamie Till and, of course, the death of her son, Emmett Till, and her insistence that there be an open casket for the world to see what was done to him. I think about... um, Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin, who inspired um, change through the Black Lives Matter movement as well. And I think about Lucy Macbeth, whose son Jordan Davis was shot to death and who's now a member of Congress. So history is about power. And I think the stories of these women escaping slavery disrupt the master narratives. And that really is part of theme two of the book, which is the fugitivity as an act of resistance. If we don't talk about women's fugitivity, we erase and silence an enormous part of their acts of, of resistance. Yes, yes. And, you know, just to, to continue um, with that with that idea, um, running from bondage, I think, represents an important part of Black women's political history and really does add to the discourse of how um, Black women organized in their communities during slavery, um, during segregation. They certainly did protest slavery by running away. And of course, they were in the forefront of um, protesting segregation as well. They built institutions during the early republic, free Black women did, um, and they fought for equal access to the ballot, as we see happening today, um, building on the legacy of women like Mary Church, Terrell, and Fannie Lou Hamer. Of course, uh, Stacey Abrams has been in the forefront of uh, dealing with the issues facing um, Black people with regard to restrictive voter laws, voter um, laws that are being passed by Republican state legislatures. So Black women have been in the forefront of movements to address inequity, social oppression, and freedom for the Black community for centuries. And this is a fight that really began during the revolutionary era um, with Black women um, protesting with their feet um, by running away. And I think in that regard, you know, we we have to um, 
view Black women as an essential part of the early abolitionist movement and an essential part of the way in which this nation um, should be moving towards a more perfect union. And the book is really rooting them back as major contributors to America's first freedom war in a way that I can't think of another book that that does. Um, And you are telling us about that they are an integral part of the social movement, the social movement fabric of our society and always have been. Um, What do you hope your book sparks? Well, I think um, in in reading my book, um, I, I hope that readers will understand that the escape of ordinary Black women is really essential to understanding how women, Black women, built a culture and politics of resistance to slavery. Through ingenuity, countless enslaved women fled slavery, providing evidence of their internal fortitude to think critically under pressure in the midst of gendered, racialized, and vulnerable moments in history. Under the daily threat of bodily harm, they imagined the possibility of freedom and transformed that possibility into a lived reality. In doing so, they outsmarted those who sought to subjugate and belittle them. So I think resilience and and perseverance are important, um, an important part of the culture of Black women and the ways in which throughout history they've made a way really out of no way. And I think their stories are really a necessary act of recovery um, from what we see as the trauma in the archive of Black women's experiences. And you say in the book, we can't understand the ethical and racial foundations of the nation without doing the work to recover these stories. Yes, yes. So um, I think as we uh, we just celebrated, you know, the nation's independence um, uh, on the 4th of July, and I'm struck by how still to this day, the words that Frederick Douglass stated um, in his address, what to the slave is the 4th of July, um, kind of um, also applies to uh, the African-American circumstance and situation um, today um, and how Black women really place themselves in the position of moving this nation towards a more perfect union through their actions. So the, the stories that I tell speak to aspects of a collective past that really does hold present day meaning for the continuous and changing present of slavery's unresolvable past. And we see that unresolvable past um, manifest today on many levels with regard to um, police brutality, um, with regard to the unequal distribution of wealth in this country and the blight, continued blight in the black community in major urban cities. Um, So I think as we, as a nation, seek to 
build a more equitable society that we learn from the ways in which um, black women really have been critical to leading movements in this country to address inequity and, and inequality. I know that you are really pressed for time today, and I wish that we could talk even more about this book. There's so much we've just sort of touched the tip of the iceberg, but I trust that listeners are going to get the book and read it in full. Um, in the few minutes we have left, um, what do you hope listeners will take away? Well, I hope that listeners will take away from um, my book, Running from Bondage, the resilience, the perseverance, and the hope that Black women displayed during this very critical time period. You know, freedom lived in the hearts and minds of enslaved people, and women in particular historically have been the nurturers and the leaders um, and the caretakers of the Black community and of their families. So I hope that readers of this book will learn from and, and be inspired from the actions that enslaved women took to gain their freedom um, at a time period when uh, the laws of this country and the punishments for running away would have deterred many from seeking to gain their freedom but these women acted with a collective will and force to make freedom a reality. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Dr. Karen Cookbell, and telling us about your new book, Running from Bondage, Enslaved Women and Their Remarkable Fight for Freedom in Revolutionary America, which was just released by Cambridge University Press. You're listening to New Books Network, The Academic Life. I hope you will please join us again.